Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. Well, hey, church, how you doing? Praying that you're really enjoying today's service so far, and God's really speaking to you. And that you're ready to get into a bit of scripture. Um, we're going to be um, kicking on from what we started speaking about last Sunday. So I hope you've um, been able to recap and actually um, become familiar with what we started talking about last Sunday. Well, last Sunday, we began to frame our minds about what God is actually saying for this current season, which we are now in. And in particular, there are three things that God is actually saying. There are three things that we can anticipate to happen. And there are three things that we really should be praying into as this season unfolds. These things are that there's going to be new breath, there's going to be new form, and there's going to be a new remnant that we are actually going to see in the life of both of our churches. And as you remember, last week we talked about this new breath and we used the um, prophet Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 37, um, to actually speak into that. Today I actually want to talk about this new form. I want to actually start framing our thinking when it comes to new form. And in particular, there's a phrase which I really want us to have in mind when we're thinking about this new form, which God is going to actually bring about in the life of our church. And the phrase is this, form that is shaped to purpose. Form that is shaped to purpose. I think over the last couple of months, um, there are a couple of things that we found out about the church in general. Um, The government let us know pretty much straight away that church, as far as they were concerned, was a non-essential service. Now, that's another thought for another day, but I really think that we should probably pay attention when the government actually says, you know what, churches, you're non-essential. We can actually um, have some thought and think about that. The other thing which I was thinking about over the last couple of months when it comes to the church is that this season has actually shown us um, how rigid we actually are. We we came into this season and it seems like churches all over the world, not all of them, but most of them were actually paralyzed when COVID-19 actually hit. And we generally are not as agile as what we possibly thought we were. And I think that's something that we really need to pay attention to. It's really, really helpful information. So in this new season, when we're talking about actually taking on a new form, I believe that God is actually going to cause us to become more agile as a church, which means there's going to be a lot more opportunities. So I hope you're ready for that. There's going to be more opportunities for individuals, for for groups and and for people. Um, So I hope you're really ready for that. And this new form is actually going to evolve over the next six to 12 months. So I really want you to not be surprised when things start to shift and things start to change in New Spring and in Kalamunda Church of Christ. But this form has to be shaped to purpose. And that's a pretty interesting thought. I really want us to think about that, shaped to purpose. Interestingly enough, this is exactly what we read at the very beginning of the Bible. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read from the very first sentence. Genesis 1 verse 1 to 2 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You know, a couple of years ago, my younger brother, his name's Jono, he and his wife decided to build a brand new um, uh, house, a brand new house. And the construction of that house had its own story. 
Um, there was the signing of the contracts. There was the searching of location. Then there was the laying of foundation and then the building of the walls and then the building of the roof. The time finally came when they were handed the keys. And when they were handed the keys, that was the time when there was a new story that began. That new story was the story of making a home. The house was already built, but inside of that house, there were now all these boxes, there were rugs, there was like, like, like um, clothes thrown all over the place, there was cutlery and everything. There was all of this material inside of the house that had already been built, but what was needed now was for order and function to come about so that this house could now become a home for my brother, for my sister-in-law, and now for their two little children. It was a story of this house becoming a home. The Genesis creation account is a story of God making a home. This is not a house story. This is a home story. Verse 2 says the earth, see the earth's already there. The earth was formless and it was empty. And because the earth was formless and empty, God went about actually bringing about form and function so that on the seventh day he could rest and so that he could eventually actually create humanity in his own image. Now, we look at this story and we're separated with thousands of years. We're separated by language. We're separated by cultures and, and worldviews. And we don't really understand exactly what this narration and what this story is actually telling us because we're so separated. But for the mind of someone who was living in the ancient Near East, they knew exactly what this story was saying the very first time they heard it in their hearing. They knew that whenever something is being built, whenever something takes six days to build, and on the seventh day, there is this time where there is divine rest that takes place, they knew exactly what was being built. They knew that what was being built was a temple. It was a temple. The way you build a temple is that you build it for six days, and on the seventh day, divine rest takes place. Everyone in that world knew that this was describing a temple. The earth was formless, the world was empty. So because the world is formless and the world is empty, God goes about forming the world, bringing formation, bringing order, bringing function for a purpose because God was building a home. He's building a temple. Even that word resting, we don't understand that because if I'm going to take a rest, I'm going to have a bit of a nap. You know, I'm here in the auditorium in Kalamunda and I can see Ryan's there and Nick's there. And it looks like Ryan's taking a nap right now. He's resting, you know what I'm saying? But like, you know, we understand rest like that. But for the mind, again, for the ancient Near Eastern mind, they understood rest meant something completely different. And it has to mean something different, doesn't it? Because God doesn't get tired. God doesn't need to take a nap. God doesn't need a hammock. No, no, no. They understood that word rest in that actually a culture and in that context meant that that word rule. That's what rest means. It means rule. So what happens is that God has taken six days to build this temple. On the seventh day, he actually comes and makes a home and he actually rules or, 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 or does that. This picture in Genesis is actually a picture of God bringing order out of disorder and structure out of chaos. And after constructing this house, he actually goes inside and makes a home, bringing order and bringing function in it. Now, add this and different analogy to it as well. In the United States, where they are currently um, preparing for an election um, later on this year. Former Vice President Joe Biden, he is the presumptive um, Democratic nominee. Um, for this year's election. He's on the road to the White House. Now imagine if he actually gets to the White House. 
if he got to the White House, that's actually not the end of the journey, that's somewhat the beginning of the journey because the whole point of making your way to the White House is not so that you get to sleep in the executive suite. No, no, no. The whole point of that journey to the White House is that you actually go into the Oval Office, you sit in your seat, and that is actually the command centre of the entire nation. And that is a similar kind of thing which is happening in this story. One Old Testament professor, his name is Richard um, um, Belcher, he summarizes Genesis and the beginning of our story like this. He says that the beginning of Genesis is showing that Israel's sovereign creator, whose purpose to establish his covenantal rule will not be hindered by the sinfulness of humanity. Let me say that again. The book of Genesis is showing that Israel's God is the sovereign creator whose purpose to establish his covenantal rule will not be hindered by sinfulness of humanity. God is establishing his covenantal rule in this world by resting in his home, in his temple. He is bringing order out of disorder. He is bringing light out of darkness. He is bringing structure out of chaos. And then after God rests, he creates man, doesn't he? And he mandates that Adam and Eve, that they would rule and they would reign and that they would push Eden out and actually take this world somewhere. So God's covenantal reign is administrated through his covenantal people. And that's actually the purpose of what is actually happening here. That is the reason why God formed a formless world in the manner that he did. The Genesis creation account is actually the account of God making a home or using biblical language. He is actually building a temple through which he establishes his covenantal rule. Pretty unfamiliar to us. I get that. The problem is this idea of temple actually runs throughout scripture, even though it's so unfamiliar to us. The idea of temple and temples, we, we think of temples and we think that belongs in a, a far different culture. But this idea of temple is this idea of a meeting place with God, this place where God resides, where his presence is, the intersection of heaven and earth, the meeting place between God and humanity. And even though the idea of temple and temples is so unfamiliar to us living here in Perth, Western Australia, the problem is temple is quite pertinent to you and I if we follow Jesus Christ. Because the New Testament says that we, collectively as a church, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And also, individually, if you have pledged your allegiance to Jesus Christ, Scripture will say up front and center that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's actually pretty important for us to understand what temple means and what temples do because the implications are vast. And if we get a greater understanding as to what temples do in the world, we will actually have greater information and we will have greater shape as to this new form that God is bringing about into the life of our churches. And that's why I really want to talk a little bit about temples today. As unfamiliar as it is, we're getting into a bit of temple theology. Um, so that's going to be... Um, Interesting, interesting. And I really pray that we can grab hold of some of this stuff. Now, the New Testament boldly declares that Jesus is the new temple, um, as prophesied um, by the prophets such as Ezekiel. And we looked at that um, a bit last week as well, uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Um, temple theology actually runs throughout the entire Gospels and even into the New Testament. Um, consider the Gospel John. John 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
That rendering there, which actually says, and dwelt among us, quite literally in the original language, actually says, and tabernacled among us. That word tabernacle, that's temple language. Right off the bat, from the very beginning of John's gospel, we get this temple language, which is running through. The New Living Translation actually renders it this way. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. See, it's a home story. This is not a house story. This is actually a home story. God is making his home. And later on it says, and we saw his glory. Again, this is temple language. This temple language is actually running through. And then it doesn't take too um, long for Jesus to actually use this similar language of himself. We read later on in Gospel, Gospel of um, John chapter 1 that there's this meeting time when Jesus actually meets Nathaniel for the very first time. And Nathaniel's blown away because for some reason, Jesus has been able to read his mind and, and read his mind of what he's been meditating on. And, and out of this, Jesus actually says something quite profound about himself. We read from verse 50 to 51, um, Jesus asked him, do you believe this? Uh, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Verse 51, then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who was the stairway between heaven and earth. Man, what an interesting thing for Jesus to say. Immediately, anyone who knows any scripture, they would have immediately been taken to Jacob's ladder and even uh, taken the link even further between Jacob and Israel and even the words that Jesus says to Nathaniel when he says, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity, obviously as opposed to Jacob who was the deceiver. But this idea of this ladder, which is literally the connection point between heaven and earth, that Jesus refers to him as be, himself as being this ladder. This is temple idea. It's a temple um, language. It's this temple analogy that Jesus is the one who joins heaven and earth together. And that joining the temple, this is a place where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is that place of meaning. He is the place where heaven and earth intersect. And for us living in the year 2020, this gets even more exciting as we follow the Gospel of John through to chapter 7 and chapter 8. And, and we're actually going to land somewhere really exciting, so just stay with me right now. But in this story, this is in the context where Jesus is making his way to the temple, and it's during the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a week-long feast. Imagine that, having a whole week where you're just celebrating and you're eating and all that. Man, far out. I tell you what, I reckon I'd put on about 20 kilograms. But it's a week-long festival. And true to form, during this week, Jesus starts to cause a couple of commotions, um, as he tends to do. Now, this week-long festival has a climax. It has a climax, okay? Bear that in mind, it has a climax. The climax is that the priest would take this water that is in a gold vessel that had been ceremonially carried in procession from the pool of Siloam. And it would come to the temple. And then this temple was poured out in front of the altar. And from that place, it would gush out in two different directions out into the world, indicating, this is what it indicated, that from the temple, this water or this river would actually flow into humanity and flow into the world. That's the climax of this um, ceremony, the climax of this week. Guess what Jesus shouts out um, at this very moment? And, and get this, he shouts out, okay? He shouts out. Guess what he shouts out? Well, 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 we read it in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. Just listen to this. Again, it's the climax. 
On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. Verse 39, and when he said um, living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Now, at this very same celebration, at this very same celebration, on the last night, what would happen in the temple is they would, they would get like, like literally hundreds, possibly thousands of candles and they would light them up. There was this blaze of light and they ensured that this light remained for the entire night. And the whole implication was that from the temple would come this light out to the entire world. So like on the last night, this is happening. Guess what Jesus says? Guess what Jesus says? John chapter 8, verse 12 to 13 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, obviously the Pharisees replied. He said, you are making those claims about yourself? Such testimony is not valid. Well, let's try to pick up what Jesus is saying of himself. He is saying what he has been saying from that very first meeting with Nathaniel. He is saying that I am that meeting place, that I am the place where heaven and earth intersect. I am this new temple that the prophets have been speaking of for generations. And I find it really interesting to be because if Jesus is the new temple, I want to know what actually happens when this new temple is active because this prophetic vision of this new temple is now fulfilled in Jesus, which means that the reality of what the prophets actually spoke of, this temple reality is now present for you and me today. So I really want to know what are the implications of this, what actually form that our church will take if we fully understand what this actually means, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures that he is the new temple and when he says rivers of living water will flow from his heart anyone who believes in me rivers of living water will flow for out of their belly i need to understand what does that mean again back in this context when the scripture is, is actually happening the high priests they are reenacting a prophetic vision given by the prophet zachariah who is most probably pointing back to the prophet ezekiel Okay, this is a reenactment of what we can expect to happen flowing through this new temple out into humanity and out into the world. And if Jesus is the fulfillment of what is being reenacted, if he is the fulfillment, the big question is what exactly is being fulfilled? Because if that is now being fulfilled, that means that you and I should be operating in that very thing that's being fulfilled if you follow my logic. Okay, what's being fulfilled? Well, I want you to let your imagination run for a little bit as you listen to what was actually prophesied in Ezekiel 47, verse 1 to 9. Just listen and let, let it play out in your mind, okay? I'm going to read from verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. 
The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand um, and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was so deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Araba where it enters the Dead Sea. Understand this, listen to this. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because uh, this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Pay attention to this river. This is a cool river. This is the kind of river that when it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live everywhere the river flows flows and this is the river that Jesus is talking about this river and understand when Jesus is talking about this river he's not saying anyone who believes in me into that person will flow this river no he's saying anyone who believes in me out of this person will flow this river out of this person will flow this river of life, water that gushes and flows into the world, living water that irrigates the world, bringing it to life. This kind of water, this river that actually gushes forth and goes into the dead seas of this world and makes them fresh so that life can actually burst forth and, and life can actually be sustainable. You know, we talk a lot about renewal. We talk a lot about revival. And we sometimes think that we need to do things and I reckon God is actually saying, if we get a firm understanding of temple and who we are as temples of the Holy Spirit, it's not necessarily a thing of turning something on or doing something. It may well be that God just simply wants to place you in a place that is dead so that a place that is dead can come alive because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and out of you flows rivers of living water and wherever that river flows, dead seas come to life. Your very presence if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Our very existence as Cullamunda Church of Christ and our very existence as New Spring Church burst forth living water because we are temples. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. And if we are temples, we are the place where God now resides. We are that meeting place between humanity and God. We are now the intersection of heaven and earth. We are rivers of living water that burst forth from us. You see, there's purpose when it comes to our shape. And this has kind of been a, a theme that's run through our story from the book of Genesis. From the book of Genesis. Our story begins in Genesis, God making a home. We talked about this, making a temple through which he establishes his covenantal rule. His covenantal rule is administrated through his covenantal people, Adam and Eve. Then things go wrong. A disruption comes with his temple and sin enters. Relationships broken, but God doesn't give up. He's moving the story forward. 
you know. We read about things of a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, God's with his people. Then we read about tents and tabernacles where God's still with his people. We read about the Ark of the Covenant. God is still with his people. Then Solomon builds this temple and this is the highlight of the Exodus. The glory of God comes down, the Shekinah glory comes and it is absolutely undeniable. God is with his people and that is the glory. That is an amazing time. Then through idolatry and sin and all that, God actually departs and, and God's people are taken away to exile. Their, their temple is ruined. But even in exile, there is a promise that God will return. God will come back to his people and they'll be building of a brand new temple. So after exile, God's people come back and you know what? They try to build a temple and they're fully expecting God to return. God doesn't return. So they thought they were building a temple, but they're not building a temple at all. They built a shell. Because there's no glory, there's no Shekinah, there's no presence. God is not there. It's just a shell. And they're waiting for God to return, but God doesn't return. And they keep on waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they are still waiting until the Word became flesh and tabernacled around us. And now the prophetic vision is in play for any person, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what demographic you come from. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, their prophetic vision is now in play when Jesus says, For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. Rivers of living water that make dead places fresh and sustainable for life. You know, I've experienced this in my own life. Um, it may be uncomfortable for some people in New Spring to hear this, but eight years ago, um, Andrew and I came and we took on the leadership of New Spring Church. And um, I've got to say, um, the church eight years ago was quite dead. Um, it was really, really hurting because there was a huge betrayal that had just happened. And um, it was a very, very interesting scenario. I remember Sunday mornings and literally there, there were times where there was literally almost a, a fist fight in the auditorium before the service. I'd be in an auditorium between a couple of people and, and they'd be swearing it's happening. We're about to go into worship and people swearing just right in front of the altar, you know. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that was happening. There were beautiful people who were caught in a crossfire that was happening among the different people groups and, and all that. And um, you, you know what, well, God has been faithful, but I need to tell you, for a large part, that church was quite dead. It was quite dead. So I've seen first happen, firsthand, sorry, I've seen firsthand what happens when you put a temple in a place that's quite dead. Slowly but surely, it comes to life. And it's not necessarily it doesn't come to life. Understand this, New Spring has not come to life because I'm special. I'm not special. New Spring Church has started to come to life because of where I was placed. Temples belong in dead places. I mean, how else will that place come alive? And form must be shaped to purpose. Your purpose individually and our purpose collectively is to be placed in dead places, to be positioned in dead spaces so that those dead places will come to life. Form must be shaped to purpose. So you can fully anticipate, and I make no apologies about it, there is going to be a new form that takes place in Kalamunda and in New Spring. 
We are going to become more agile. And what you can anticipate is that God is going to place us individually, but also corporately. He is going to place us and he's going to position us in dead seas around this region, up in the hills where I am right now and down in the valley. He's going to place us in dead spaces, in dead places, in schools that are dry, in communities that are dry, so that by our very presence, these rivers of living water will burst forth from our hearts and from our belly and wherever they go they will call salty water become fresh and dead seas will become alive not because of what we do per se but because of who we are we are temples of the Holy Spirit this is who we are and because of who we are that's what simply happens it's incredible we are temples of the Holy Spirit and living water gushes from your heart and when that water empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Form must be shaped to purpose. And if you had any doubt or if you were unclear as to what your purpose was or what this church's purpose was today, well, right now, at least you know. And you know what? Together, we can walk forward because this is the journey God has before us. We are an unintimidated church, let me tell you. We are a feisty church. We are a believing church. We are not a doubting church. And we are a church that has been placed up in the hills in Kalamunda and down in the valley in Camillo so that we would see the dark places in the regions come to life and we will see those dead seas bursting forth with freshness and new life and sustainable life and flourishing. That's just who we are and that's the journey ahead of us. I really pray that you're making a decision over the last couple of weeks that I want to be part of this remnant. I want to see thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I guarantee you it's going to be a pretty exciting journey. Won't be boring. Never going to be boring. It's going to be exciting. But we need to be fluid enough and flexible enough to allow the Holy Spirit to shape our form so that the purpose of who we are and what Jesus is doing in this world will come to fruition and be fulfilled in our lives, in our churches, in our families, in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you speak so clearly and I even pray even um, in unpacking um, this idea of temples. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you've made it clear enough so that we can actually be engrafted to it. Spirit, come and lead us, we pray in this season. I pray for wisdom for our churches, for our eldership, for our leaders, Lord, that we will move forward and we will not be a church that's intimidated, but we would be a church that confidently takes forth the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would see many come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we would literally see these dead places around our world in our regions come to life with freshness and bursting forth with life because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We belong to you. And we just were so excited to see that. In Jesus' name.